So why don't you guys look at that and make sure that the numbers are red and it's recording. I've done this before. Ah, I see. We're all happy? <laughs> red and recording. It's red and recording. Yep. Welcome to Knife Making Down Under Podcast with Mert and Kev. And Corn. Corn, yeah. Corn, Mort and Creven. We've, we've got two special guests with us today, being Matt McVicker and Jackson Rumble, who is here as well at my shed. So, yeah, say good day, guys. Hey, guys, how we doing? G'day, everyone. How are you? Yeah, good. <laughs> good How's business. the last few days been? Yeah, awesome. Learning lots, finding out how much I don't know about knife making. Yeah, wow. Mm. What are you guys up to? Barrel knives. With the king oh. of barrel knives. We're making barrel knives. Well, attempting to. Uh, are you guys, guys going to finish one? Or are you going to go with Corrin's Pace? Like, one a fucking year? Um, yeah, it'll be Corrin's Pace, for sure. But it'll... Yeah, my, my, the one I did with Corrin's still sitting in the drawer unfinished. Well, I'm definitely going to finish I'll one try and get it. you. Oh, fuck, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if I cared about that sort of shit, mine would be finished. <laughs> I'm still doing it. Good on you. So there we go. Yeah, the guys came up and um, we've been knocking up a couple of knives. So it's been uh, inspirational to get me making again. Uh, considering I just made one a few weeks ago, I'm kind of on a roll at this point. Yeah, yeah. don't get in the habit because once you get back to work, all that shit's going to fucking stop. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, boys, we're sitting here talking um, and uh, in, a, in a comfortable air-conditioned shed while Thawa Valley Forge burns. Tell us about that. Well, glad we're not there. Um, yeah, pretty scary stuff. It's a good day not to be there, really. Um, although I'm sure that the boss would probably appreciate the help. But um, bushfires everywhere. Canberra's been pretty lucky so far, I think. Um, it was inevitable, I think, that they were going to roll in. Um, and so it's coming over Mount Tennant at this stage. And um, fingers crossed it burns north instead mm. and just burns some more forest. I, I make light of it. Yeah. But, but for the benefit of the listeners... Um, last night the uh, fire was spotting on the Thawa Valley Forge side of the mountain. By the time this episode's released, uh, we'll know the outcome, but um, we'll see. Hopefully everything is safe and well when this comes out. So, yeah. It's not going to be a short-term fix, that fire. At the moment it's um, blowing to the northwest, which is good, so there's a little bit of respite for um, Thawa. And then later today it's meant to change and come back uh, northeasterly, pretty gusty winds which will bring a bit more of a concern in again but we're he headed for 40 plus degrees again for a run of days so uh i did check in on karim uh a couple of days ago when i saw i came out of bunnings driving down to bunnings there was no smoke come out of bunnings there's this massive plume of smoke up in the air and it's like uh that's not fucking good so later that day i sent karim a message just saying uh yeah you guys are right out that way and, you know, he's pretty relaxed as he normally is with that stuff. And he's like, yeah, yeah it's it's out Swampy Plains or somewhere, miles and miles away. Uh, and then the thing just amp ramped up and is burning, uh, you know, four or 500 hectares an hour. Um, and it went from, you know, I looked at the ESA site, it was 20 hectares. And then within a few hours, it was, you know, up well above 1,000, 2,000. Um, so, yeah, not good for... Not good for that region. Not good for... There was uh, embers flowing into local suburbs nearby as well, and we were under even under alert here. Um, on the map, a uh, red spot came up on the range just behind us, uh, but it sort of 
blipped off the radar pretty quickly, so I'm not sure what happened with that, but it was a bit of a worry. Yeah, so guys, um, Thawa Valley Forge, eh? Uh, hopefully everything um, works out, and when this is released, uh, uh, Kappa come along and Thawa and everybody there are safe. So Fingers crossed. Yeah. Agreed. And I've still got a job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, would be, that would be very nice. Yeah. And, and, and we've still got a location for the symposium. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> good. Oh, maybe the good thing There's would a whole be lot of... if, if the fire burns through that bottom paddock, it might get rid of those freaking caltrop um, seeds. Yeah. Ah, it'll probably just fucking harden them. Yeah. <laughs> Air hardening caltrops down in the fucking campground. No, the those, those things are um, insane, like the, the, the thistle things down there with... Yeah. Do you know what it is like that seed? I call it a three corner jack, but it's just a very angry bindi that puts massive holes through your thongs and into your feet. Yeah. Takes out a tire or yeah. two. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of tires. Yeah. 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 Uh, they're horrible. Oh, we should, we should sure. stage an event there uh, where we do a fucking like a rope off a little area and have symposium wrestling competition. Oh. <laughs> oh, savage. <laughs> Or just a strip of it where you run across it bare feet, like hot coals, but better because there's no respite from it. Yeah, no hot oh, coals. Oh man, I I I wear socks and shoes all the fucking time. I got like the most tender fucking feet, and that just put one of those little fucking, you know, the little fucking electrode through the ball sack pain things. Then <laughs> the thought about walking on those with my feet is like, oh fuck! I walk across my slate floor in the kitchen and I fucking like complain about it. It's pretty funny because in Europe, and I think. America as well, they don't have bindies. They don't have it like we do. So they don't really understand what we're talking about. Like, um, no shit. You can't, in Australia, you can't walk across the average lawn in bare feet in summer. That would be like akin to, to suicide, really. Um, Are you fucking kidding me? They don't have bindies. I don't think they do. Oh, um, fucking um, hell. Mert, you live there? Yeah, look. We lived in a rural area, but they don't have bindis like Australia because when we first got in a house that has a lawn, like all of a sudden I see some shit and I'm like, what is this? And a friend of mine is like, yeah, those are bindis. They'll fucking dip your feet. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, I'm thinking he's like a fucking drop bash, so he's probably full of shit. And next thing you know, it's like a couple of weeks later, I'm just like fucking walking and feel like I'm walking on a fucking minefield. Fuck, <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, so they're already fucking scared shitless that anything and everything is going to fucking bite you and kill you. And now they can't even fucking run across the front lawn when the fucking funnel web does come out for them. <laughs> we had a funnel web in the pool last week. Nice. Yeah. Fuck that. Did you, see the, did you see the photos Paul Aristar's been putting up? No. Yeah, he's, pet, oh, he's, he's got the same problem because of the rain. All the funnel webs are coming up to the higher ground, which is his house. The, the boss is taking these fucking photos of these things, man. I've been to his house twice. I didn't know there were funnel webs. Fuck that. That's just rude. Should have a big fucking sign on his gate. For, for the benefit of the Americans out there, funnel webs are a spider with a fang about oh, probably eight millimetres long that can bite through a leather glove. And, um, well, to put it bluntly, they kill you. And super aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they are yeah. not aware of their own size in relation to you. Fuck yeah. There's apparently, um, there's apparently a, like, a new variety that's in Canberra allegedly reported recently so i'm fucking hating that awesome well, you may have gathered from the last 15 seconds i'm a fair fucking arachnophobe i fucking hate spiders no huntsman's for you kev oh look i walked through the fucking front door of our house the other day 
there was a huntsman above the top, and I got my wife to hold the door open, and I fucking ninja rolled through the front door, <laughs> swatted myself, stopped, stopped, drop, and roll to try and kill the fucking thing that was still out the front, apparently. But nah, not real keen on it. The only ones I don't mind are the daddy long legs. So that, that they kill the white pig. Again, for the benefit of the Americans, a huntsman is a, is an Australian house spider that's as but large as your hand and lives in pretty much every house, particularly around anywhere that has a tree. Yep. And they're not, and, you know, for the same thing, to just take some of those fucking horrible edgy rumours away from Australia, the Huntsman is not a, a bad spider because it fucking gets other spiders. But they're just fucking nasty looking things. They're really big. Mm, so, huge. They're big. And you open up a curtain or something and have a Huntsman fucking appear in front of your face. A little bit of poo does yeah. come out. I mean, there's no there's no denying I'd, it. You know, no, knowing that they, they're not going to hurt you doesn't save you. But refreshingly, yeah, the for funniest, Australia, they're not poisonous. The funniest thing I've seen is we had a huntsman in our house and the thing had three legs on one side, one leg on the other side, and it was up in the corner of my house. And this is about the stage where I was trying to get brave and actually capture them and send them outside. I went to grab this thing and it just spiralled as it ran because it had three, oh, like <laughs> um, one balance amount of legs. The fucking thing was just doing twirly wells across my wall. And I'm running after it with a with a plastic container, screaming, um, trying to get it. And then, yeah, my wife was having a good laugh because she she likes my phobia. So you just basically bullied a disabled spider. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new there, mate. Nothing new there. If you hate it, bully it. <laughs> so anyway, boys, is there anything been happening on social media this week? I've been on a self-imposed ban, so we've got to cover that. Is there anything happening on there? Uh, well, I haven't been doing too much social media because I've been engaged in demolishing my front yard, trying to finally get it looking reasonable. So I haven't been on social media a lot. What about you, mate? You seen anything of interest? Uh, in terms of mug making, not much. Yeah. Schwabzy, much Schwabzy sent me a message, which I presume has something to do with the Knife Talk podcast and him starting a war between them and us. Uh, <laughs> So go, yeah, go Schwabzy. Um, yeah, all power to you. We've got to now write a song. And uh, I don't really know how I feel yeah. about that, but I, it might start something like Roses are red, violets are blue, your podcast's no good, but we love you anyway. Them's my words. I've got to say, I'll... I'm already, I'm already in relationship repair with me, mate, Jeff Bader. Well, he's not my friend, so I don't have to worry. I don't think, I don't think he's ever going to be your friend. Well, that's because I'm an asshole. So what do you want? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, so are we. Something weird there. I mean, after all, Mert gave him a kangaroo scrotum for a fucking gift. He's probably there fondling it now and thinking of you, Mert. Thinking of Schwabzy. Thinking of Schwabzy. Yeah. So Actually, I've got to admit, though, I've got to admit that um, the the song that Craig wrote uh, was fucking funny, yes. and I uh, I kept I'm I'm pretty sure he did it uh, on purpose, but he was referring to the flock, and I kept waiting for the rhyming word such as cock, but it never came because yeah. he was like he'd always go into something else. I'm like you sneaky bugger. Yeah, I I, um... I thought it. Yeah, I don't know. Profanity just wasn't there. That it lacked something, didn't it? Yeah, um, that's because they eat too they eat too many cucumber sandwiches and drink too many cups of tea over in the old motherland. Uh, I reckon you're they, right. they don't like swearing. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, fuck that. So, man. Mate, you've got a, if you're writing a song, you've got a fair challenge, and I just want to now put in the caveat: I've got nothing to fucking do with Mert's song. 
And I'm putting in a caveat the that if, it, if it's funny, it was my idea. <laughs> if it's funny, we help. If it's <laughs> shit, you're on your own. <laughs> no pressure. Roses are red, sky is blue. We can't see song, but Foxy's the best. Oh, one. God. Whatever you yeah. say, I don't know. If it's any, hey, are you going to play guitar like you did that time you were on the live feed? Uh, I, need, I need a few beers, man, to be able to. What do you do? And some more of that um, aniseed fucking liqueur that you. You guys drink. Yeah. You guys. You guys <laughs> drink. Wow. Fucking wow. <laughs> wow. What are you saying, Kev? Wow. What do you mean, I'm you guys? What do you mean, you It's not like I'm calling him a... <laughs> it's not like I'm calling him a disabled huntsman spider and fucking picking on him. <laughs> All right. So let's get into the interview. Let's get into the meat of it. Matt, where are you from, mate? Uh, we in Australia. Um, I was born in... The Northern Territory and in Tennant Creek, which is not a place to visit, so don't go there. And then grew up in Alice Springs, which is in the bang in the middle. Um, so for the benefit of all the that, Americans, is that a place to visit? When you talk about the outback, that's like you couldn't really get further outback without. No, well, it's in the middle, it. so you it's go either middle. way, and you're getting close to an edge again. And so. there's fucking nothing anywhere near it. No, except for Ayers Rock, and that's nearby, but that's 400 kilometres away. Yeah. And the nearest town is Tennant Creek, near- where I was born, and that's 500 kilometres away. And you don't want to go there, so don't. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Fair call. And you, Jackson? So I'm, uh, I'm from Canberra, Canberra, Australia. Funnily enough, I also grew up in Alice Springs. Uh, not for as long as Matt. I missed him by a couple of years. But uh, yeah, mainly from Canberra. Alice Springs has got a population of probably permanent residents, not a whole lot. 25 to 30,000. 30,000. So that's kind of random that you both lived in Alice Springs. Yeah. Yeah, mate. <laughs> you, you ever been there? No, uh, no. Never been there, and I'm probably never going to go to Tennant Creek. Good. Um, I mean, we were we were trying to chase some sponsorship from the Northern Terry Tourism Board, but I think that's gone now. Um, <laughs> no, uh, never never been that way. I haven't travelled much Adelaide and then the east coast of Australia for me. I'll wait till my wife retires and tag along with her when she's travelling around those places. Nice place to go and visit from what I understand. So it's called Tennant Creek, so it must be a nice little pleasant bubbling brook or something like that, is it? Or No, it's very, very dry. I don't know why it's called Tennant Creek. Is there is there any water there at all on the surface? Yes, there's a dam, and you can go and jet ski and stuff on there. Oh, really? Yeah. but um, How do they get water in it? It's a good question. Well, the, the artisan, artesian basin sorry, is underneath it, so I don't know if that's got something to do with it, but there's a lot of water there. you just got to dig. It's funny that you said the artisan basin because everyone says artesian supplies. Yeah, there you go. Well, that was it's on my funny mind. that it goes yeah. the other way. Yeah. Fucking belt and pepper spring upon the So growing up out there, you play with knives a lot. How were knives involved in your childhood? Well, yeah, it's country. It's the outback if you want to call it that so lots of outdoor stuff there's not a lot to do in alice as a kid except for be outdoors especially growing up like my the tv was two channels <clears throat> abc and something else boring so it was that classic childhood of get on your bike and go away until dinner time and i always had like a pocket knife they were never good ones but they were always had a pocket knife never really needed it for anything it was that kid thing you know you whittle sticks and make bow and arrows and and you know shoot stuff and awesomely the um the army surplus store which had a big sign that said no knives to people under 18 um, i went in there when i was young enough to ask what a k knife was 
Um, he was very amused and then proceeded to sell me a knife. So I used to get all my knives from the outdoor store. <laughs> nice. Um, which is now closed, so I can tell you that story. <laughs> yeah. uh, my parents weren't super keen on uh, me having knives either, so I used to buy them with my pocket money and then I'd wait till we went to a picnic or something and then I would take it out of my pocket, throw it on the ground and loudly proclaim that I'd found a knife and then I seemed to be allowed to keep it. <laughs> I was really lucky with finding knives as far as my parents were concerned. You're like, like the fucking knife whisperer. Yeah. Like, oh, there's another knife sitting on the ground that looks brand new. Oh, well, I guess I can keep it. So I'm sure they saw straight through my game, but they let me they let me do it. So, um, yeah, I always had little pocket knives. Yeah, yeah so I guess um, not much to do with knives and Alice, but after we moved back to Canberra, we started going on the coast a lot, and uh, Dad and I would go fishing all the time. So obviously you need a knife when you go fishing for doing whatever you got to do, and I started filleting the fish and started eating sharper and sharper knives, much to my dad's... Uh, <laughs> Well, he wasn't happy about it. He always kept cutting himself. So, yeah, fishing is mainly where I started knives. And that's down um, on the south coast there. So you were going down to what, Batemans Bay yeah, or something? Yeah, down near Batemans Bay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice, which is all burned out now. So yeah, respect to everyone down there. Do you think the um, cutting of your dad's hands and stuff was less to do with the sharp knives and more to do with the user of the knife? 100%, 100% yeah. 100%. <laughs> he's, uh, he's always asking for a knife, and I've yet to give him one because he can't be trusted. Nah. Give him a fucking uh, a wooden butter knife. Damascus button knife. <laughs> he'll probably fucking get... But doing that, he'll probably get splinters in his hand and blame you for that too. Oh, there's no way I can win this one. That's for sure. <laughs> nah. Give up now. Give up now. Too much effort. Very good. So um, what got you into knife... Jacko, this, Jackson, this one's for you. What got you into knife making? Well, I, uh, I did a course. did a course at Thar Valley Forge. My... Um, my mum actually got it for my, I think it was my 18th birthday, and um, always done metalwork and woodwork through school, but never really thought of making a knife, and um, yeah, did a course with, I think you were on actually, actually, Kev, you were one of the instructors, you and Karim. I believe I, believe I was. I think you were, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's sort of snowballed from there, I guess. Got bitten by the bug and just kept going. Yeah, it fucking happens. What about you, Matt? It's a fairly similar story, um, and I think we, I did, I did a course at um, Thawa Valley Forge as well, and I think that you and Kareem were instructing on it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I did it as a bit of a hobby at that time. I um, was looking around in Canberra for things to do, saw that course, and thought that'd be cool, but I'd better go and get everything I need first. So I spent a year getting everything I needed, which is how I met Corin as well. I um, was on forums and uh, came up to one of his hammer-ins to make a forge. Actually, the forge in the forge video on YouTube on my channel, yeah. Corin Kayaker, was either the f your forge... Yeah, it's mine. It's yours. Yeah, which so I still that, got. So, yeah, that forge I'm making uh, in that video uh, was Matt. And then Matt filmed it with Pierre, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah, I strut around in there a little bit, looking handsome. Yeah. Mm. So, <laughs> that's going back, a, going back a ways. Were yeah. you into comedy before knife making? Absolutely. Was it like six years ago, five years ago? 2012 or 2012? I think it was 2012. That, well, that video? Yeah, so 2012, you, yeah. You started, you started making knives in 2012. How did it go from making knives and being a hobbyist, obviously, when you first started, to now being a full-time maker? For me, at least, I was... I st like, like I said, I had all the gear, so I sort of hit the ground running after doing a, the, the course at Thawa and just started making and my knives I guess improved as I went along at least I hope they did and an opportunity came up I'd 
looking to transition out of what I was doing and um, Kareem was expanding Thalwa Valley Forge and said, do you want to come and work for me? So that was that. I, I did that maybe two, a bit over two years ago and have been working there full time now since then. And what sort of knives do you mainly been working on? Like my personal stuff or for... For the for Thawa. For Thawa. We do lots of kitchen knives, but I did a, a series of daggers for the Australian War Memorial. Um, replica daggers. Did 17 of them. That was a cool project where we used parts from a boat called the MV Crite, which was used in Operation Jaywick, which these videos and cool history about. It's basically the inception of Australian commandos. Um, and special forces in Australia, but they gave us parts of this boat that couldn't be restored, and we made, uh, well, um, we started off making 300 miniature letter-opener versions of these daggers for the 70th anniversary for the War Memorial, and we had leftovers, and they wanted some full-size ones, so I made another 17 full-size of these daggers called an Australian Army Stiletto, where I used all the parts from the crate, which were mild steel or, or low carbon, so I made canister Damascus out of them, and then put a a carbon steel core in it and then turned up the handles from the timber from the crate. So and those daggers were, would have been similar to the ones carried by the commandos that did the mission? Yeah, so they we had the original patent drawings and I was referencing them for a while and then realised that they were the Mazak handles, which they came with Mazak and timber. What's Mazak? It's cast, cast steel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah sure. It's yeah, just sure. a proprietary. It's like a white metal. Yeah, yeah. And then looking at the schematics, I could see that the timber just wasn't going to work with the dimensions. So we actually made an appointment with the War Memorial and they let us go um, and sit in some room with white gloves on and measure some originals. So they had four original Australian Army stilettos out and we took the dimensions from them. So they had the Mazak and the, um, the timber ones. So we took all the dimensions from them and also the sheaths. They had some of those um, and then made them as accurately as we could, which was kind of interesting because wartime effort they weren't all that interested in fit and finish so they were actually pretty rough um so we were spending an awful amount of time trying to get them you know fitted up to nice. a standard but also trying to keep them as accurate as possible so i just sort of had to so I, being pretty rough they'd be right up your alley yeah like i <laughs> nailed it yeah. he based it off his beard he yeah. based the rough look off his beard it was glorious is what you're saying <laughs> i love it yeah. i love it what about Jacko? so um I did my course back in 2013, and at that time I was doing seasonal work in the States, so I was coming sort of six months here, six months there, and I kept making knives in my spare time, and I came back, I think it was in 2016, I came back and uh, Karim called me out of the forge and said, you want a job? And I said, well, absolutely, yeah, let's, let's do it. So I started off as a contractor, and I was basically a, a grind monkey. I was grinding, 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 grinding all day. So I got kind of good at it, I like to think, by the end of it, and um Sort of from there, I transitioned from doing production work to uh, teaching classes and and running the the shop down there with uh, with various projects we were doing. And I would say uh, my job now is more so on the teaching side rather than the the making side at, at Thal Valley Forge, but definitely a full time gig. Very good. That's for sure. How how do you enjoy the teaching, mate? It's good. It's good. It um look, I'm not gonna lie. It's it's difficult sometimes. Difficult sometimes, but uh. It really makes you think about your processes because when you start trying to explain how to do something, uh, you really you think about how you're doing it and why you're doing it, which is very interesting because you get lots of different people with different ways of learning, be it uh, be it visually or or talking about it. So you got to kind of tailor how you how you interact with these people to get the message across. Very good. You ever had anyone? And you know, this is not a reflection of 
the workplace or anything else, have you ever had anyone that you've just wanted to like fucking t- just say fuck off, mate? You're fucked. You know we've we've been surprisingly good. We get a lot of people through, but yeah, there's definitely a couple we they say, oh cool, I'll be back soon. I'll be like, I really hope you don't. <laughs> but I would, <laughs> but I would say you know the vast majority of people are really quite good. Yeah, and I guess you. That's a funny thing. You'd get that as well, where you know at the end of the day, different personalities come through, but you know they're paying money to have an experience. So it's our job not just to teach people to make knives, but to make sure that they get that experience that they're after. If we, you know, they're a personality that we protect, you know, made it not get along with normally. That's irrelevant. Our job is to, you know, give them their value for money. Um, so sometimes you just grin yeah. bear it. It's oh, easier it. because it's a beginner class, but it's also harder because. You have no idea to, you don't know what kind of dexterity they have in their hands, what kind of skill they have in working with tools and all that. So it's easy because they have no idea. They don't have any bad habits, but it's hard because you have no idea what they're going to do. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I had someone the other day whose first power tool they used was a power hammer. So, I mean, try and buy right? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing could possibly go wrong with that. Not at all. And it was fine. It was totally fine, but... I mean, yeah, what yeah. a way to start power tools, huh? So how would, yeah. you, how would you describe your style, Jackson? What sort of knives do you make? These days, it's pretty much all integral knives. I've, um, over the last sort of year and a half, I've really pushed uh, my forging integrals to, to what, what I think is, is new levels for me anyway. And mainly uh, uh, bowies and fighters would be uh, my, my style at the moment. Definitely some kitchen knives in the mix, but bowies and fighters are, are really where it's at for me. And, and you recently submitted some knives for the ABS. I did, yeah. So last year I, uh, I tested for my journeyman smith, which was a lot of work. Um, I definitely didn't realize how much work would be when I first set out. But, you know, sort of eight, eight months of solid work later, I, I tested in, um, at Blade Show and was successful. So that was, uh, that was really cool. Yeah, and so yeah, you were successful. So, you, were, you were a little bit more than successful. Yeah, fucking humble rumble. Here we go. Yeah, humble fucking yeah. rumble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I all right. They were okay. Yeah, they, they were all right. Just just won this fucking uh, unknown fucking award called the Kiesler Award, which you know anyone can do that. Yeah, yeah, right. Anyone can do that. No worries. And so you, yeah. so <laughs> as as a prize, you got to make the ABS a knife. Yeah. So tell the, us about that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I spent the last two months making a knife to be auctioned off by the ABS next year at Blade, and. Uh, I went a little overboard, safe to say. I spent about two months making this uh, integral keyhole dagger, which was an absolute nightmare. Absolute nightmare. A lot of uh, a lot of different processes. Pretty much every time I had to do something, I had to change my processes because it wouldn't fit in the machine or it just wasn't going to work out. So it was a big learning curve. Are there pictures of that out there? Or? Yeah. So if you, if you look at my Instagram, Rumble Knives, you should see uh, a couple of pictures of that dagger. Hopefully it's going to get uh, professionally photographed in the States pretty soon too. So... I, I heard that you had a bit of an issue hand sanding it. There's a few facets on it. I think there was uh, 47 or 49 facets on it that all had to be hand finished before etching. <clears throat> so they're all done with yeah, well, done with paper, or how do you not paper. wash the lines out? It's it's pretty difficult. I get it as close as I can. I mean, this is how I do all my my finishing work. I get it as close as I can on the machines, which usually ends up being somewhere around 320 to 400 grit. Yep. And then from there, you've got to make a multitude of sanding sticks and, and jigs and things like that to as best you can dress up those facets and there's lots of transitions between twi- uh, timber and steel as well which makes it 
much, much, much more difficult. Well, that's the Damascus, right? Yeah, that you was said Damascus. etching. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah. Damascus. Yeah, yeah, so then you got to mask off all the timber and then etch it, and then it's actually a it's actually a keyhole. Yeah, and really something special. So definitely jump onto Rumble <clears throat> Knives and um, so Rumble underscore Knives on Instagram and check out that that dagger that took two months to make that. Uh, I guess you weren't making an income during that time, hardly. And gave it away for free. And you gave yeah. it away for free. So anytime you're ready, Jackson, I'll I'll take one as well. <laughs> uh, just putting uh, it out there. Can I have Can I have a name on the list for uh, a free for sure. one? No, no, seriously. Uh, I remember I remember when I came over to Tharwa that time to pick up. I think it was the Glowforge or something. And you were it was still in the very rough stages. I think you'd put in the rough bevels, and it was all flat, so you hadn't done any of the shaping of the keyhole or anything. But I remember walking into that front room and just the, the look on your face when you turned to me is <laughs> spoke a thousand words about fucking where your head was at with it. And like, as you said, through the process of just like, okay, I've just done that. Now, how the fuck am I doing this next step? That's it. I think that you was know. late in the day too. And I had absolutely had enough. It was late in the day. <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. had enough. Yeah. That day. <laughs> but I can say like, fuck, when I saw that and it was in its rough stages, man, like, your fucking yeah, your your fucking like level of innovation at the moment is truly up there in like some of the best stuff I've seen. And you know, thanks, man. You, you're definitely well, you're definitely world class. And man, I see some experienced makers do some fucking cool stuff, as everyone does. But some of the things you're doing is just bloody mind blowing. And you know, it's good, it's good to see. The most interesting thing is the reason we call him Jackson Humble Rumble is he posts one picture doesn't care about it like oh, yeah i made a knife there's one picture done if i if i made a knife like that the integral keyhole dagger with the turkish twist mosaic and shit i would have posted like 200 pictures or you see other makers like, <laughs> you did you just did 200 fucking pictures with your whoops fucking kitchen knife mate you'd have done a thousand pictures with that dagger yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? What's that, man? Sorry, I missed that. <laughs> I think he said, "Fuck off, Kev." <laughs> no, he would have said, "Fuck you, Kev." <laughs> so, getting back to the basics. So, you guys, we we normally ask people what their first tools were when they started. So, I guess you guys actually started in courses. So, you would have started at Thawa. You would have started on Radius Masters, Masters and Noob Grinders. Radius Masters, yeah. Yeah. Back then, yeah. Back then. And, and at my place, back then, it was Radius Masters. Radius Masters, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But what did you use to make your first knives you did yourself? Did you have the gear? So, you spent, you said you spent some time tooling up, Matt. Yeah. So, I spent a year prior. I built my forge here, as we spoke about. I bought, you know, bits and pieces. There was randomly a guy in Canberra selling anvils. Yeah, I remember you. Cast yeah. steel anvils, yeah. So I bought one of them, um, which was it was like five hundred and fifty dollars for a seventy-five kilo anvil plus this stupid big vice and um, hammers and whatnot. So I had that, and then it was I think the week before I did the course, um, another guy off the forums, um, RSLT, um, Russell. Yeah, I remember yeah, Russell. He yeah. had a he'd upgraded to a Radius Master and he had a homemade seventy-two inch grinder and he gave it to me. And so a week before I started making knives, I was given this grinder, and his only sort of caveat was when you upgrade, give it to someone else, which I, I did in the end. Yeah, so I was lucky. And it was right at that time when, I guess, I was on Australian Blade forums, and it was really community-based at that stage, and there was a lot of generosity and, and really willing people. So, yeah, I just was given this thing and hit the ground running, which was convenient for me. They were fun times those mm, days, weren't they? They were, yeah. yeah. Exciting. The industry was just starting to um, 
it was going from sort of 30 makers in Australia to yeah. 3,000 in three years sort with, of thing. With access to all of the bits and pieces you want. Yeah, mm. from not even being able to get anything, really. Yeah. Yeah. And Jackson, how about you? Did you make start making at home or did you keep going at the I, forge? I did, yeah. So I, uh, I came back from the course and thought, right, this is what I'm doing from now on, making knives. And I probably commandeered my dad's workshop, which uh, didn't consist of much. I think it was an angle grinder and a, a timber belt sander. <laughs> so I jerry-rigged it, which was absolutely so dangerous. <laughs> I had it clamped up in a vice with a cable tie on the trigger grinding away with this wood belt sander which was terrible absolutely terrible but i made a, i made a couple of knives on it for about a year and then i actually bought kev's old grinder which was a uh a single speed two by 72 and promptly ground my finger off <laughs> the very first time i did that with a, a new belt <laughs> <laughs> and uh, i've still got that grinder actually that's um and you know once i started working at thaw valley forge i started doing work out there because we have all the tools out there and it, it made more sense yeah, sure. I mean, it's everything on tap, isn't it? Mm -hmm. If you can find it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the students haven't part, broken yeah. it. Yeah. What's your um? What's the favourite knife that you've made uh, in your process? What's the one that you've sort of come out at the end of it and thought, "Fuck yeah, this is the best." For me, it was uh, one of my JS set, which is probably it's pretty understated. I think it was a wide false ivory handled hunter, uh, integral hunter, and. For some reason, that knife just uh, just worked out. It went nicely in the process, and you know, no one's happy, 100% happy with their knives when they come out. But this one was probably the closest I've got gotten to uh, being perfectly happy with a knife. And when you say false ivory, is that like? Um... Uh, it was um, ivory micarta. So ivory not, micarta, yeah, yeah, not false nice. ivory. Yeah, yeah no, 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 that's all right. It's all right. Just just curious because uh, there's lots of different white ones. It's pretty difficult to work the the white handle materials. It sucked. It was terrible because yeah. I had black liners, black G10 liners under it, and oh, I remember calling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I remember calling Sean McIntyre almost in tears, being like, "How do I finish this? Like, I cannot get it clean. It just kept clogging up with with grit from the belts or or the paper or the G10." And uh, he told me to to hand finish it underwater, which was kind of kind of a surprising thing, but it worked really nice. Once you get it to say you know, 1500 grit and you can start putting wax or, or something like that to fill the pores, it's fine. Yeah, right. It's just fine. You just got to get it to that point. Yeah. For finishing yeah, a knife right. underwater is not something I would have considered, no. but Sean's full of shit like that. I was down yeah. there for two days last week, as you know, listeners might remember, I was on my way and I spent two days just absorbing fucking so many tips and, and just hearing the way Sean does it, which is different to the way most people seem to do it. He doesn't use flux when he welds. He's got a very defined process. And the outcomes are so superior to other... The, and I believe, Jackson, you've been doing it the same way. Yeah, I mean, uh, Sean's been a, a very big inspiration and teacher to me. So I do a lot of things the way he's showed me. Yeah. yeah. So you know how when you weld up Damascus and you get those ghost lines between the between the like mosaic and so forth, Kev and Mert and everyone out there? Yeah. So Sean's process... Basically, he doesn't get that. He just gets perfect worlds every time. And it's, uh, you know, I guess it comes from a lifetime of, of giving a fuck about getting perfection. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's what you can put it down to. He yeah. really, he really cares. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of shit going in the bin. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. No doubt at all. And then speaking of shit going in the bin, tell us about your recent Damascus making experiences, oh. Jackson. Oh, yeah. 
It was a long week last week, I can tell you that. I uh, was starting a project and had to make some Damascus for it. Not particularly difficult patterns, it was going to be a very large uh, twist to start with. And I just could not get the fucking thing to stick. Could not. You know, the same process that I've been using for years, and it just wasn't working. I couldn't figure out what it is. So again, I called Sean almost in tears. <laughs> <laughs> and what we've come to the conclusion of, because we don't use flux, and well, this is what we think anyway, we don't use flux when we, when we do our weld, we do dry welding. We think that the forge may be contaminated with some kind of zinc, maybe from some galvanizing or, or something like that. Because really everything else in the process hasn't changed. Everything else has been pretty pretty solid. So we're going to do some testing. We might reline the forge. We'll see how we go. It just makes me feel better that someone at your level fucks up as well. <laughs> it's not just me. There were definitely some choice words spoken <laughs> last week. So No, I'm sorry to hear it. It's never a good thing to do. But it's, you know, it is true that in knife making, we all have our failures at every level. All the time. Yeah. All the time. I'm getting pretty What good about you, Matt? What's your what's your favourite knife that you've made, finished? Well, of my personal work, I suppose, um, I did a set of kitchen knives for a, a chef down in Adelaide who's now turned... He's one of my best customers, but uh, it was uh, my first go at crushed Ws and it had matching Bacote handles, which were cross-cut with matching sayers again. And it was just one of those things that came together really well, I thought. It just... Yeah, it's one of those, you put it together and you're sort of hoping for an outcome and it came out and I was like, man, that's that's awesome. And then it went to someone that really appreciates them. So I was really, really pleased with that. I think they're on my Instagram page, I'll have to find them. But yeah, I was really stoked with those. And sort of now the, the thing for me is pushing to try and improve on, that's sort of my benchmark for kitchen knives and I've got some ideas for fixing them up. And then I suppose while it was for um, work at Thawa, those War Memorial daggers were... Um, really awesome to work on and the the response that I got from people that sort of had a history with that was was pretty cool and I think one of them went to auction sold for fifteen and a half thousand dollars to someone so someone else thought that yeah wow. that they were awesome. pretty cool so that was a fun project and I like making daggers so yeah uh, uh, that's you know one of my things I suppose so Matt you've got two Instagrams Vicar Forge one word and Vicar underscore forge yeah, so one of them, I've started doing a, a sharpening business in um, in Canberra and the area around there. So one of them is Vicar Ford Sharpening, and I just kept them similar. But you can't advertise on, on social media with, with deadly knives such as anything with an edge. So um, I just made two separate pages so I can um, spruik the sharpening a little bit. But that's just a, a side business which seems to be going quite well. And yeah, a variety of different services there for people with blunt knives. So if you're in Canberra and you want a sharp knife, hit me up. So you guys, do you guys still take custom orders or how do you go with that? Or do you make whatever you want to make and sell? I am trying to get away from custom orders, but I, I don't seem to do very well at it. But I'm being far more selective about what custom orders I do take. And it's more, if I want to make it, then I'll take the order. If I've got no interest or it's a bit uninspiring to me, um, I'll politely decline. Um, but I would like to get to a point where I'm simply making and then put it up and people buy it if they want it. That's my uh, that's my goal. Yeah, I'm pretty similar. It takes me a really long time to make a knife, just because we're we're teaching and because I'm working out of the Thaler Valley Forge workshop. You can't always get the shop time you'd like. At at the moment, I do have an order list, but that's been closed for a while. I'm very conscious of getting too far ahead of ahead of myself and over committing. So I, eventually, I'm the same as Matt. I would like to just make whatever I want and hopefully have people buy it. That would be the dream. Well, especially with the, your success in the journeyman's test and with the 
dagger you make in Beat Ocean, I'm sure you're going to get a lot of emails and DMs. Well, that's one, thing, that's, yeah. that's one thing I'm working towards is taking a few over to Blade Show this year just to uh, keep my presence up, especially in the American market. You're going to have a table or no? Yes, I really should get on that. <laughs> I haven't booked it at yeah, all yet. So yeah, you might, you might want to. Yeah, I really, I've been saying that for a long time, though. So, yes, hopefully I will have a table if I can get my shit together. Well, you, you better, you better, I guess, because a lot of people apply for a table on Sunday of the show. There's another table set up just for the signing up for you next year. And if you want to keep your own table, you're going to keep your own table. you got a timeline till I don't know, maybe August or September. I got my table. I got my same table. I think September or something like that. You better get onto it. Yeah, no, I, I will do that soon. But I didn't have a table last year, so I don't really care. As long as as long as I get one, I'll be happy. If not, I'll go anyway. It doesn't really matter. So yeah, that's it. Jackson, you'll pretend you... like my cousin with the with the Catherine name tag. That's on it. You. Yeah, yeah. I was Catherine last year. <laughs> <laughs> so so Jackson, well, who are your biggest influences? Like your mentors in knife making. Who would you say? Oh, you've mentioned Sean. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Sean's, Sean's definitely the biggest. But also, uh, Kareem, my dad at the Thaw Valley Forge, you know, I, I did my first class with him, and he's been nothing but supportive since then, you know, you know since I started working there and, and working with him at the Forge, it's been really... Well, I wouldn't be worrying without him, basically. That's that's uh, the long and short of it. So those two are the biggest. There's been a lot of other ones as well. Uh, we had Rodrigo Sofredo come and do a course uh, last year, I think it was, and... And for me, that came at a really good time. I was really looking to sort of push my knife making forward and, and he was a fantastic mentor. So that's really where the keyhole uh, inspiration came from. I guess we had those three to name a few. There's plenty more out there. And Matt? Yeah, I mean, similar start at the Spose with um, with Kareem and, and doing a class out there. And then I was really lucky because he was looking to develop his, his business model and whatnot. So he would be forever doing these test classes of different things so i was really fortunate to get to go and do a bunch of free courses at, at thala like mokume damascus but just neither of you did barrel knives no barrel no, knives actually, yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> razor making just a whole bunch of, of random things that then either turned into classes or not but it was just this sort of constant learning from that source which was really good and um and like we sort of touched on a little bit um especially back then there was a real community around knife making so you know, I spent time with yourself, Kev, and came up here and did hammer-ins, and and I sort of I learn really well in in class environments and and dealing with different people. So I've done a class with Keith Flutter, I've done classes with Wayne Saunders, um, and then um, same as Jackson, I was in on the on the yeah <laughs> the keyhole um, integral with Rodrigo Sofredo, Kevin Cashin. Sorry, Kev's laughing about Wayne for Saunders. Certain, certain. Certain fucking keywords now in my life just trigger fucking like instant uh, reactions. Let's let's go on to that fucking uh, course with Wayne Saunders for a minute, <laughs> or the one that we did at least. Fuck, that was funny. Tomahawk, Matt, mate. Matt and I, Matt and I went up to do a tomahawk course with Wayne, and we fucking spent what near on nine hours in the car together. It was loose. It just, it was fucking very loose. And we came up with a plan uh, that uh, we were going to use our tomahawks <laughs> to take uh, caravan mirrors off on the way home if they bothered us. We didn't, but that was our plan. Yeah. <laughs> and we fucking argued and talked shit. And we pulled up at Wayne's workshop and we're still arguing and talking shit into his workshop. And I think Wayne, Wayne just fucking looked at us and shook his head and was like, what the fuck have I done? 
And then uh, when we went fishing, and Wayne took his partner along, we went fishing out in the little canals around where he is, and yeah, it was really good. Actually, getting nice, catched a nice lot of fish, and yeah, Wayne's missus pipes up. She goes, oh, I should have done this a long time ago. I'm like, oh, yeah, why is that? And she goes, the first time you two have shut your fucking mouth. I'll find you in here. I think um, I, was, I was sleeping in a swag in the garage because there was a bit of floor space there and Kev was in the spare room. And um, I woke up to Kev standing in the doorway, looming over me with this shit-eating grin on his face. Turns around, drops his guts, walks out. And I thought, that is not the way to start a day. But <laughs> it's the way that day started. So thank you, Kev. Yeah. And then I go to get my co- I go to get my copy off the counter. And I, I looked down at my copy before I pick it up. And there's like a shimmer of movement on the surface. And, I'm, and I look at McVicker, who's got this trying-to-be-innocent look on his face, but failing miserably. <laughs> and then I pick it up. And it was, what was it salt or sugar? I think it was I can't sugar. remember. I think he loaded up. I went to the toilet and he's loaded up my coffee cup with about 18 fucking sugars. <laughs> you told him it was sugar, did you? It must have been coming out as the last spoon went in because there was just a little tiny ripple on the surface. <laughs> because I trust I trust people like Matt wholly and solely. You know, I didn't question it at all. <laughs> and then uh, when Matt went to have a shower, I snuck into his room or into the shed and picked up his water bottle and filled it with about 10, cup, uh, 10 teaspoons of sugar. Uh, and it was raw sugar, so the colour of the water changed. And I was like, oh fuck you know try to shake it up and dilute the sugar out and yeah just just a whole weekend of just fucking funny fucking stuff going on oh yeah that was a crack up wayne wayne eventually warmed up to it and joined in took him a while yeah but he, yeah uh, we keep threatening to go back there yes <laughs> needs to be done yeah. that's funny so uh you guys are pretty present in the australian night make uh night show scene which which shows do you generally travel to in a in a standard sort of year if you've got time, obviously? Well, definitely Canberra, seeing as it's running our work. But um, uh, Melbourne and Sydney for me are the only ones that I've been to so far. I would like to go to Perth yeah. and, uh, and Brisbane, but uh, as I said, it takes me too long to make any knives. So I think last time I went to Sydney show I had two, and that was uh, a lot of work to get there. So it's it's difficult to make enough stock for a show, as everyone yeah. finds. Yeah, I'm, I'm much the same, so um, Canberra obviously, Brisbane, not Brisbane, sorry, Sydney and Melbourne have been the shows I've attended. Um, I'm keen to do Adelaide, but I also promised the missus that I won't be doing any more shows unless I'm actually organised, because um, like you all know, they your, your partners get to deal with the the, the panic. Why would you make a fucking promise like that? Because it, it was a good idea, because it stresses me out, she gets angry she doesn't like me when she's angry, which makes me sad. So I make promises like that so that I'm not disliked anymore, which is a good idea, I think. Everybody can learn something. Yeah, but you've got, to hold, you've got to hold those promises. And we all know when it comes to a show, as Mert was talking to me yesterday, it fucking never happens like that. Well, I went to the Sydney made, show with one half-finished knife. So I true. Yeah, so I don't mind. <laughs> I was talking to, what happened was I was talking to Kev yesterday. We talked last week, and I had eight knives ready the week before the show. This shit never happens. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm set. But what happened was last week, one of the shipments I sent to U.S. got lost, officially got lost, and I had to I had to replace the knives I sent to the retailer. So out of the eight knives, four of them I had to send away just to replace them. And now all of a sudden, I'm down to four knives. I got one week before the show, for the first show. Now I'm stressing out. 
yesterday I was in the shed all day. Fucking cut myself in a few places. Yeah, never, never say like, yeah, I'm looking. Never say like, yeah, I'm organized. I'll be organized. No, you're not. Never. It's <laughs> an inspirational speech. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So what, what happened, mate? You lost a few knives in the post. Yeah, so what happened was uh, I was sending knives to the U.S. and this was just a week before Christmas. And I don't like sending stuff before Christmas. I had like a cutoff date. And I send it, and it's like on the 18th. I'm like, man, I hope this will make. It. And you keep checking the, you keep checking the tracking. It says left Sydney, nothing else for like a week, two weeks, three weeks. And the guys pressing me saying like, hey man, I haven't received knives. What's up? I called the post office. They're like, the knives left, package left Australia, but there's no record of being accepted by the customs or going through the customs. So I think it was the Christmas rush and somebody who scanned the knives, and who scanned the package, realized there were knives in there and it was gone. Yeah, right. So no insurance? Yeah. I had insurance, but it was, I, I must have thought it was only one night. I only shoot it for one night first. There was five knives in there. Oh. So it was, if I lost the knife, it was, I'm like, yeah, shit happened. It was five knives, so at least two weeks worth of income. Yeah, it stings. Yeah. That's that sucks. So, were you using the postal service or, or a courier company? A postal service. Have you considered a courier company for stuff like that? I have an account with the DHL. I use DHL, but it's twice more expensive, and they they classify me as a rural area. And on, only way for me to use DHL is local pickup and if i send the knife to the us it's a hundred to 150 dollars with insurance so uh, if you're sending five knives though surely that makes some economical sense when you lose two weeks wages yeah i'm just putting it out there mate i'm not telling you how to do your business i'm just i think he's telling you how to suck eggs man <laughs> <laughs> that's painful man no, i'm sorry shit of a thing but Sorry, let's let's just go there for a second though, because plenty of people fucking send knives uh, within both within Australia and overseas. What have you ever had to claim through insurance? Twice. How this fucking is... difficult is it? Uh, you know how difficult it is. I had to go. I had to go to my local post office, which is like a lovely old couple. I end up getting the email address of the one of the top high up on the. I think it was a CEO. I end up going directly to CEO saying, "You guys are." You guys are your employees. Fucked it up. Okay. That's how I sold it. It took months. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I'm probably going to call them again because they were asking. I know the knife, the package was issued for $1,000. We need to see that it was actually $1,000 worth of shit. So <laughs> I ended up sending screenshots of the, the retailer. We agreed upon a price. Him, his PayPal receipt and the actual address going to that guy and all that. So I'm still waiting to back from yeah fuck yeah it's a tough gig i mean that's that fucking butt clenching fucking moment every time you hand that it, it parcel is. over it is like rule one don't send over the christmas time if it's allow yourself a cutoff time and issue for the full value of it if somebody says hey the customs are bad here if you claim it this much i have to pay customs like look man the knife is this much i have to issue for this much and if you say like i don't want it you don't want to pay for it if his shit gets lost, I have no responsibility. That's the bottom yeah, line. You yeah, better yeah. insure it, or if it gets lost, 
It's not my fucking problem. I make the knives. I send it to the third third person to ship it, and it is what it is. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, nah, can't argue with that, mate. Uh, it's, I'm sorry to hear it, mate. It's uh, As a full-time maker who relies on their income from the freight company, you're at their mercy, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so yeah. I got not, I got not enough knives, and yeah, stress. What time you had? What time do you fly out to go to Perth? I'll probably land on my fucking Monday, like Saturday morning. No, just kidding. I'll be there Friday afternoon, five o'clock. Alright, very good. <laughs> I'm well, It is what it is. I'll, if I go with eight knives, ten knives, ten knives will be lucky. If I go with eight, I'll go with eight. So, fellas, I was just going to ask these guys about workshop company. Do you listen to music, podcasts? Do you have a pet or Adam or whatever? <laughs> yeah, we, we have a pet Adam, yeah. So uh, one of our workmates, Adam Fromholtz, Matt and I have a lot of fun stirring him up, basically. My favorite one is to glue his things together. Yeah. He usually doesn't notice for a while. And also uh, sending him home with big lumps of steel in his lunchbox. Yeah, he doesn't particularly like that one either. Yeah. He doesn't like wet paper, so I like getting big balls of wet paper and then tossing them at him and yelling at him and he'll catch them and then make gagging noises and it really makes me quite happy. <laughs> you don't like wet paper. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah. You've, you've, just opened up, um, you've just opened up a whole fucking world of pranking for Adam. Yeah. You're welcome, Adam. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but really, we're, we're quite unique because we have, I think it's up to 12 now. Mm. Yeah, 12 people working at the shop between our, our sort of two or three workshops. So uh, it's very rare you actually get time in the shop by yourself, especially with all the classes we have running. Yeah, I've got a workshop at home as well. So there I've got you know, sort of my own space and I do listen to podcasts and music and um, really depends what I'm doing as to what I listen to. But obviously when you're grinding and stuff, it's no good listening to a podcast because you can't, it, it just drowns out. But yeah, just a, a bit of everything. You know, you can headset, right? You know, like the noise cancelling headsets. Yeah, but unlike Corin's workshop, I don't have air conditioning, so my head gets hot. So I'm not. Yeah, no, nah. I've got them, but I don't use them at home. I've got a, a, a stereo, and I actually got a pink one. This pink stereo, because I thought if anyone breaks in my workshop, at least they're not going to steal my uh, stereo. Good excuse. Yeah, <laughs> and I've got um, I've got two dogs at home, so in the doorway I've got a, a mat where the one that likes me hangs out all day when I'm in there. Uh, the other one will just sort of stick his head in and then walk off because it's um, my missus' dog and it likes her a lot better. Uh, but yeah, so the dog hangs out and keeps me company. Jackson, same, same sort of deal, just at Tower because you don't really work from your home anymore, do you? Yeah, so uh, basically I had a shop in my parents' uh, backyard and they uh, kicked me out and moved down the coast, which was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I lost my workshop, which uh, and Kareem has been really great at letting me use the Tower workshop. Obviously classes take precedence and and paying jobs so I'm sort of uh, I bounce between the workshops we have doing various things and, and getting time on uh, on various machines when I can get them but yeah same thing as Matt depending on what I'm doing usually it's music where I don't have to pay too much attention I was trying to show Kev a minute ago an injury by sticking my finger up at him but I don't think he saw it <laughs> I've actually yeah, no. smashed the end off my finger which is a funny story in itself but what's the um What's the best injuries you guys have had making knives? Just the usual ones for making knives. I haven't really had any great disasters of, you know, ground my finger off and stuff. But as I was saying last night to you guys, I managed to cut through the middle of my nose once with a knife, just the centre bit, to sharpening it. And I was looking at the edge and running a, a rag along the on the edge of it, looking at it, and it got to the end and just flicked up and just went straight through my 
trim my nose and lots of blood and lesson learned don't don't flick knives at your face as it turns out that was probably my best one i was glad because if it had been a centimeter higher it would have gone through all three of my bits of nose and then i would have had a crooked nose and been less glorious so you know <laughs> small blessings <laughs> <laughs> i've also been um been very lucky injury wise i uh, can't say i've had anything too major apart from uh you know losing lots of skin to grinders at various various points in time what's the pet peeve of your guys in knife making what's the one thing that you guys see in knife making and can't stand it like it might be a trend it might be a future it might be a common mistake i've got two ricasso's that extend down to the heel of the knife drives me insane like don't put them there that's where you cut stuff I'm, I'm talking about like cleavers and things like where you actually want to use that bit of the blade. I mean, there's certain knives with that sort of application. For like them, there's a Wustoff sort of thing. Wustoffs, yeah. yeah. And you see people making cleavers, um, which seem to be trendy at the moment. And they'll have the same thing that Ricasso um, or, or heel full thickness of the steel. That drives me mental. You can't use that for anything. And it makes sharpening it a pain in the ass. Uh, it's just not functional. So that irritates me um, as far as knife making goes. And I guess... Another one which drives me mental is people that ask for advice or feedback or critiques and then give you excuses or argue with you. doesn't matter who you're, you're talking to if you've asked for that. Is that what we call an asshole? Is that is that what we call <laughs> yeah. an asshole? Yeah. That's an asshole. Asshole, yeah. right. Well, that, that drives me mental. My advice is it doesn't matter whether you agree with it or not, just say thank you and either take it on board or don't, but don't argue. You asked for it, you got it, what? bad luck. I fucking love. I love actually reading. You're on. You're on more groups than I fucking care to be on Facebook. <laughs> but I see your posts come up, and you're right though, Matt. You give fucking black and white advice, which we know from trial and error and experience is generally pretty fucking correct and go by the book. And I love seeing it when people. I actually love. It's a fucking pet hate of mine too. But I love seeing it particularly when people throw it back in your face because. You get this fucking little thing going with your responses. <laughs> and I can picture your face and your tone of voice when you're typing shit out to them. But, yeah, it's exactly that. I had one of those occasions where someone asked a question. It was pretty basic. And I responded. And I came back with something else. And I'm like, well, okay, but this is what you want to do. And then in the end, it's just about eight responses, because I did it under Kevin Slattery. About eight responses later, the guy goes, Oh fuck your Kev's forge! Oh thanks for giving me the advice. And you're like, fuck. Okay. <laughs> so it only took until it dawned on to you that, uh, you know, not using my fucking just actual name, that I was giving you sincere advice. Yeah. And it was on a beginner's type. It was on a beginner's type page, and it was a beginner's question, and it was a pretty straightforward answer. And in the end, I was just I was the same as you. I'm like, take it or leave it. Yeah. There's the answer. Fucking do what you will. Mm. And yeah. What about you, Jackson? What are your pet hates in it? Or oh, very, you anything much, that... very much the same. One more thing I would add to that is people giving advice uh, they have no idea about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I'm very, I, I can't understand why people feel the need to give advice when they have literally no experience or any idea about what they're talking about. But they've seen it on YouTube, Jackson. Well, well they're clearly experts then. Uh, <laughs> I think people shouldn't have any shame in saying, I actually have no idea about that, but I would like to learn. I, I can't understand it. And I think it gets, uh, it just causes so many people problems because if you if you ask for advice and they give you advice that's clearly wrong and then you, you know, continue using that advice and it's also going to be wrong. It's a, it's a pretty deadly cycle that it's quite easy to fix yeah. if people just don't, 
talk shit. <laughs> you <laughs> you know see so I mean? much yeah. stuff being yeah. parroted over and over. It's one of my pet peeves too. And mm. uh, on Bushcraft Oz, back in my early days on there, um, you know, everyone was going on about the importance of fire in bushcraft. And I was like, well, in Australia, it's like the lowest of the fucking importances. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so yeah it's the same sort of thing though people ask advice and um we see it all the time where people people comment and um you look at their facebook page they've clearly never made a knife they clearly don't know and when you pull them up on it they take it as a personal affront because they saw it on some channel on youtube that yeah. they respect well all power to you but if you haven't done it yeah don't say anything yeah. <laughs> well the shitty part of that is that kind of attitude and the abundance of those guys drives the more experienced makers off. So like all of a sudden you see the, those guys not giving recommendations, you, you don't see them anymore. And all of a sudden like you get the page full of guys that never made it, but constantly videos of, oh, look, this guy's are making X out of a railroad track. Oh, this guy's are making kitchen knife out of a welding stick. And you see all of them and constantly people praising, oh, awesome job. I saw it. So, on, uh, I saw it on Australian Blade forums when a guy came on there with the handle SPF or SDF, and he started giving advice on Damascus, and people were not fucking listening to him until they realised it was Steve Filosetti, <laughs> like the inventor of Mosaic Damascus, the undisputed, you know, the, the guy that started it all, sort of thing. So, yeah, and so you got to be careful too because you don't know who who people are on social media. You really don't. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. So, guys, if you could give if you could give aspiring knife makers um, a, a piece of advice, what would that be? Someone just starting out. I would say, learn from as many different people as you possibly can. Uh, you know, face to face is better. If you can take classes, that's fantastic. Mm. But I, having taken quite a few classes myself and worked with a bunch of different makers. I've yet to come away from an experience like that without learning something. Whether it be yeah. a little trick here or a massive game changer, you can always learn something. And you know, you take all these bits of information and you develop yourself as a maker. So learn from as many people as you can. They're even, even, they're even you, sucking my brain, Kev. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> even if it's just saying, I'll never do that ever again. That's something that's well worth learning. Yeah, Matt. You don't need and this, this is advice that I certainly didn't take, and I don't regret it, but you don't need every tool to start with. Hey, 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 come on. Yeah, uh, come on, like, boy. I've, yeah, you're in my <laughs> shop now. They're nice, to, but like, I mean, if you want to make knives, get yourself a good grinder. Don't buy a cheap grinder and a cheap drill and a, and a cheap everything. Um, buy once, cry once, but get yourself a good grinder. You can make lots and lots of knives, and then you can develop from there. What do you want to do next? I want to forge. Cool, get a forge. Get an anvil start building on it but build from quality and don't feel that you have to have like you know you look at people's workshops and they've got tools everywhere i've got lots of tools and then i come here and i've got mad shit envy but you don't need all of them to make knives so start small but start with quality and then um, build up from there that's my advice good advice so um my advice is don't use a lathe while you're drinking <laughs> <laughs> corin glued his shoe to the floor <laughs> and then before. <laughs> you were wearing shoes in the oh, workshop thongs. What I the had fuck? thongs they were thongs on the lathe you <laughs> get the little bits of metal up your feet so I had to wear thongs but the night before three nights before I was I was just quietly drinking away and it got into my head that Sean had shown me this little jig and I was like fuck I need to make one of those 
and I was probably four beers in and then I started and I was doing pretty good having a few more and then I got to a parting off a large piece of brass which was about an inch and a half in diameter and my little parting tool didn't cut the mustard so I had two options I could use the quick change spanner to undo the nut, lift out the small parting tool, put the large one in and do it up again, or grab a hacksaw, turn the lathe on and try and cut the rest of it off with a hacksaw. <laughs> and that seemed, like, that seemed like a good idea. It uh -huh. really did seem like a good idea at the time, but when it went wrong, it didn't so much. So I've actually, if the guys have seen it, I've split through the... My up yours finger on the left hand, uh, gone through the nail and sort of bust out the end of the finger. And um, anyway, look, it's not a good idea. Learn from my mistakes. Yeah, not not fun. And uh, yeah, then the other night I was drinking and walked over to the lathe and started again to do something on there. Uh, so I was super gluing something onto a face plate to machine the back side of it. I was pissed and I stuck my foot to the floor and then I decided. I'd learned a lesson the other night. So I walked away. <laughs> I was very proud of myself. And the boys probably were happy they didn't have to clean up. Yeah. And there yeah. was that pause as well where you glued your, your thong to the ground and you were still looking at the lathe like, I can do this. And then you could see you're sort of winding back. That's a good thing. I turned it off and walked away. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. With only one thong. Splot, clip, splot, clip, splot, clip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I did have thongs on because lathe work and, and no shoes is a pain in the ass. Oh, pain in the feet, actually. Digging mm. the little bits out. Anyway, there we go. Yeah. Keep going. We got um, some quick fire questions, don't we? What's the most underrated tool that you have? Like, every, like everybody says that my favorite tool is grinding, but what's the most useful and underrated tool that you have? Oh, definitely my die file. Yeah. If you haven't got one, get one. Jackson, you've got a die filer? I also have a die filer and it is unbelievable. Get I have one. a die filer. Do you We're actually team Orders. die filer. Team die filer. Where the eye matters. We know, and, and having seen videos, we all know why you like your die filers, because it's easy to glue a big throb and dildo on them. Hey, look, yeah. they're, they're a very versatile machine. What can I say? Actually, um... <laughs> it's the sort of machine that could, could bring a tear to the eye. <laughs> That is on my Facebook page if you want to see it. It's it's delightful. I understand that dildo's gone off to a better home, fellas. We don't need to give too much away there, but no, it's it's been forwarded with kind regards. Sharing the love. <laughs> so I bet you no one will be scanning that yeah. and keeping that from the mail, that's for sure. <laughs> Matt Matt rang me uh, about six months ago and said or messaged me and said, Do you know anyone selling a die filer? And I said, No, but um, I want one. No, so you said if I don't know, but if I see it first, it's mine. That's right. Which displeased me. So. And then, <laughs> and then within about twenty-four hours, Matt sent me a message saying, I "Guess I saw it first. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and he was the proud owner of a die filer. But then after he'd listened to me cry for a while, he sent me a link to another one, which I bought. And then Humble Rumble saw ours and obviously the dildo and thought he's got to have one too so yeah that's it yeah i couldn't let matt win that one yeah, yeah. so if no you're way. if you're interested in die filers we've got a group on facebook called die, die filers, filers. Dildo, die, filers. <laughs> die filers and soaring machines die filers and, and yeah. dildos <laughs> yeah, die filers and dildos. <laughs> that's the secret subgroup yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and tip for young yeah, you players. Yeah, you got to pay subscription. You got to pay a subscription fee to that one. Yes. Yeah. I know. I've already signed up for a yeah. year. <laughs> You're a platinum member. <laughs> platinum member. <laughs> so what's the uh, hard, what's the hardest thing you still find to source in knife making? Other than everything I sell. Japanese blue steel. Yeah, you know, I'm working on that. We've we've had a conversation. Mm. Mm. We'll do mm. some there. Yeah. I used to sell it. I had some for a while. Yeah, I bought some. Yeah. Have you got some, Mert? Do you use blue steel? Yeah. If I brought in a bunch of it, would you I, want some? I have some. Yeah, you have some. Right, fair enough. I sold him some. Oh, really? <laughs> anyway, there's some conversations maybe to be had there, fellas. Mm, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I'm looking to bring that in. But most of the time, like Matt, Matt's been in pretty much every bolt buy I ever ran from 2012 on, from steel grinders, belts, strap-ons. I actually was in one of Matt's belt buys. Bought yeah. a um, strap-on grinder. Sorry, strap-on strap-on surface grinder attachment. Strap-on surface grinder attachment. That's right. We got the first two. Yep. Yeah. Matt was in but that. Yeah, like strap- goes with the die filer. Yeah, it goes with the die filer. <laughs> You're just jealous, Matt. <laughs> If you, you know, nothing wrong with a bit no, of pegging between all. friends. Anyway, so um, what's your preferred grinds? What's your favourite grinds? S grinds at the moment. I'm enjoying working out how to do them well, or trying to do them well. I guess my main for bowage is a, a flat grind into an apple seed edge, so a flat grind into a slight convex on the edge. Yeah, right, yeah. nice. 48 or 72 inch belts, which is best? 72. I also like 72s. You like 72s? Fair enough. Is there any read? I like 14 inch hollow grinds. Yeah, right. You can't do it on a 48 inch belt. Mm. Fair call. Preferred handle materials? Timber. Timber for sure. Yep. I'm a timber slut. Yeah. I'm a timber. Preferred timber? Oh, boy. Anything uh, sexy. Oh, look at the face. If people could see these guys' faces, holy shit. <laughs> I mean, it's always a toss up. I mean, Gigi's pretty hard to go by. I think Gigi at the moment would be my yeah. favourite. And um, I've been getting into sort of the South American woods that I can get a hold of. Yeah, Cocobolo and Bacote and things like that. All the stuff that's banned now. But I've, it's already in Australia, so it's okay. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's existing mm. stock. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. And it's in my drawer. Unless you know someone who has a good access. Yeah. Queen, queen. <laughs> <laughs> can, you ship, can you ship knives with that now? If it has the, a handle with it on it? Yeah, I think if it's already a product, it's fine. I haven't had to ship any overseas yet, so if I get any orders for it overseas, I'll have to um, I'll have to look into it. No, fair enough. Preferred steel? High carbon, so I can make Damascus. Yeah, same for me. High carbon. Nice. And your preferred mix of high what, carbon? What high carbon? Yeah. What? Yeah, what's your favourite? Um, yeah, well, we, I make a lot of 10 Outside of Damascus. Oh, outside of Damascus? Oh, blue. W2, for sure. Yeah, and cool. Preferred heat treat. So heat treating wise, uh, Adam and I built a vertical gas forge, which has been really, really good. It has a really nice atmosphere, and we can control it usually within about two degrees Celsius. So I do all my heat treating in that, including stainless in that. Yeah. Look at Mert. Yeah, I saw that face. Huh? <laughs> the fucking switch under his eyes. No, not like I know the I know the vertical ones they built. I got no opposition. Like the dome, you're talking about like the 44 gallon ones with the. It's not quite the that big. That, not quite that big. Which one? This one's half of a uh, 45 kilo gas bottle. 
Oh, I, was just refer- I was just referring to Mert's stance on heat treating stainless in a gas forge. Oh, yeah, I know that stance. <laughs> yeah, so tell us about your stance, guys. You're heat treating stainless in a gas forge, so how do you do it? You don't use a normal forge. Okay, yeah, no. so it's absolutely not a normal forge. And we have uh, we have two thermocouples in it. And uh, look, we're, we're holding within one or two degrees of what the recommended temperature is. For that period of, yep. the, for that I'm period of time. That, I'm not opposed to what you guys have, and I'm aware of it. What shits me is like the, the nine kilo gas bombs. Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah, no way. Yeah, I'm on board with that. So we always caveat what we what we do in a gas forge by saying that it's got excellent atmosphere control excellent temperature temperature control and we are conducting testing afterwards with proper rockwell testing machines to confirm the results you know snap tests all that sort of stuff to actually make sure that what we're chasing is what we're getting and we do a lot of it so there's been a lot of testing it's not i got three or four knives done right it works or i got them hard because i scratched it with a file it's these are coming out consistently at the temperatures that we, um, sorry, the hardnesses we want according to the heat treating schedules and tempering cycles. So it works. Matt, there's a test, there's a test that's more valid than all the ones you listed. Yeah. It is called, it is called as, you post a picture of the knife you made and saying, my mate uses it, he loves it. He cut a heaps of shit with it. Yeah, that's the best one. The mate <laughs> test, fuck yeah. My mate who's a chef, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he cut, he, un, he chopped onions. He fucking loves it, mate. That's the test. One of the other, one of the other questions we had was your favourite tool in the shop. But you've you've all had a little group hug over your die grinder, so we could just fucking pass that one over. It's, it's a die filer, not a die grinder. Oh, die filer. You really defiled the name. <laughs> Do your best. <laughs> I really die filed the name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that, that's fucking, that's a pretty fucking, look at Mert covered in spot. We've got to fucking live stream one of these things one day. People need to see the fucking looks that we give each other. It's, it's funny. As definitely Mert wheels back off into the distance. So um, is there a piece of equipment that you don't have access to that you would really love to get your hands on? Yes. I want a hydraulic press. I'm going to try and get one this year. A hydraulic press? Yeah, forging press. Yeah, nice. Uh, for me, it would be engraving gear mm-hmm. and learning how to use it as well. That's uh, that's my next thing. Oh, fuck yeah. Well, talk to, talk to Bruce Barnett. I have been. <laughs> yes, I have been. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and then you'll have to do a fair bit of time over in America because there's a, uh, about three or four people that those guys continually go and um, catch up with and do do refresher courses and stuff with and you can see that marked improvement in their work straight away yeah yeah for sure my main goal is really uh inlay gold and silver inlay so that's kind of where i'm going yeah. with that. yeah well bill burke rick dunkley um bruce those guys i'll fucking give you a hand in that yeah a lot of work though no. and then and then what you've got to look forward to is um making like going back to Corin and making one knife a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely heading that way, that's for sure. <laughs> definitely heading that way. That's all right, that's all right, because they'll be fucking special knives, that's for sure. That's the plan. So um, uh, we like to we like, keep like to go back to one of our favourite things, which is Blade Show, and you, you're heading back over there again this year. 
what would you suggest to people if they were toying with the idea of going over there? Do whatever you can to get there. It is just a, it's a mind-blowing experience. You really, until you've actually been there, you can't really, you, you don't know, basically, you don't know. You know for instance, like uh, here in Australia, the Sydney Knife Show is, is probably, is it the biggest? The Sydney one? Sydney's the biggest. Yeah, at the moment, the biggest, the biggest yeah. And then you, you know, walk into the Hall at Blade Show and you're like, holy shit, it's just massive. <laughs> <laughs> I remember looking at your face when we went in there, I think it was, was that on the Thursday before it even opened? Oh, yeah, I was speechless. I, yeah, I had nothing to say. <laughs> but just getting to meet all these people yeah. you see on social media and and uh, and having a chat with them and and all all the you know, I've, I learned so much just from walking around talking to people. Yeah, I remember going around um, last year when we were there, and you'd have a look at a knife, and it just triggered that thing. Like I said, triggered the thing recognition in your mind. And you'd be like, "Fuck, I know who this dude is on." Instagram or whatever, yeah, or you know the style, so you pick it up and get their maker's mark, and all of a sudden, that guy that you really fucking appreciate their work is standing right there in front of you. And, and you know, ninety nine percent of them are pretty fucking humble and happy to have a chat. Oh, for sure, absolutely. Yeah, like uh, last year, one of the highlights for me was meeting uh, Henning, <laughs> our friend from South Africa. <laughs> and I'd been I'd been following He's his work for, for a long time, really admired it, and. Um, and he's just a great guy too. Had a great time with him the whole time we were there. Yeah, we got we got we definitely got along really well. Um, and I keep keep getting those little messages with video clips and photos that can't really quite remember when they happened. <laughs> they probably shouldn't have been recorded. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, but they're there, and and we can't do much about that. <laughs> Uh, very good. And what's your plans, Matt? Are you going to look at getting over there at some point? Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm going through the um, ABS process. So doing an apprenticeship business now, um, so I won't go until yep. I'm ready to um, present knives. Um, just it's one of those things. It's a big trip, so I might as well do lots of things at once. Despite lots of people saying don't do that, just go and enjoy the show. Um, I'm I'm just going to do it this way. Um, so that's not going to be for a couple of years. Um, which is fine. I've got lots of work to do before I'm, you know, ready to present knives anyhow. Um, and luckily, Adam Fromholtz um, is next in line um, from Thawa in terms of time frame. So it's a good thing for me because um, all the pressure's now on Adam uh, on the back of uh, Jackson's um, presentations and stuff. But if Adam then goes and starts winning awards as well, I'm in all kinds of trouble because they'll hang shit on me forever if I don't do well. So. Uh, <laughs> Not for a while yet, and it, you know, time will tell how that goes. Yeah, no, good stuff. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. I'm in the same boat, sort of, with the Journeyman Smith stuff. Um, for me, it's just time and fucking, you know, I, I've had the fucking injuries at the wrong time, other things presenting themselves that take priority over knife making with family stuff. And, you know, it's just a fucking case. I'm the same. I was aiming get this year but even now i'm fucking what five months out haven't done a lot towards it and i'm like well fuck i can just wait another year yeah it's not something that you can rush it it fucking and we're all in a similar sort of situation where when your permanent job is making knives and teaching and then you you've got to make an income from that and then, well, me as a sole trader, where I—that's I, it. I don't—I don't have a weekly allowance, uh, a weekly pay packet come in. Um, and then you've got to put a whole lot of shit on hold to make 
you know, the realistic thing is make eight to ten knives. Yeah. That, you, that you're seven. then going to, yeah, that you're going to then fucking whittle down. And, you know, it's tough to fucking put it on hold. I mean, I in in doing that with me, I have to then put a whole lot of pressure on my wife to be basically, you know, pretty much the sole earner, um, which I'm not comfortable with. So, yeah. Uh, like I said, yeah, we had a whole lot of unfortunate things with friends and family passing at the end of last year. That threw a spanner in the works. We had the fucking fires and 40-degree temperatures, which are happening again now. And if you're working on a... Um, journeyman smith knife and you're in your not air-conditioned workshop and it's 40 it's 40 it's 41 degrees outside and you've got a little fan blowing to try and keep you cool and you're just sweating your ass off and you're not focusing it's probably not the best thing to do no. even the knife shows can like even as a full-time maker when you're preparing for a knife shows it's hard because you have to have a constant income but in the meantime you're going to also have to start creating stuff for the shows Yes. Well, you're finishing, but you can't just sell it right now, but you also have to have extra, so it's not easy. Yeah, and if I go to Blade Show because I go over and stay over there and travel around with a few of the guys, um, I need to have stock. Like at the moment, right now, I'm working on stuff for um, Brisbane show, uh, the Queensland show in April. I've got to look at stuff for Blade Show, regardless of whether I do my Journeyman Smith stuff or not. I still like to take some knives over for Blade Show. Melbourne Show, which is before Blade Show. And then I've got to make stock for Sydney because I'll come back from America at the end of July. And Kev, and Kev froze. And Kev's gone. Kev's gone. Kev has left the building. Uh, I'm back. Oh, oh, he's back. I'm back. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and? Yeah, there was a connection. I was just saying, yeah, it's difficult. You've yeah, got to sort of forward plan eight months worth of stock to get it done in four months. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing the demo steel and the blade show together. So I'll be going away for three weeks. And I'm doing two shows. So I gotta take the knives. When's the demo steel one? Oh, two weeks before blade. It's like yeah, two weeks before blade. And so, where is it? Uh, Chicago. Oh, yeah, I was gonna go, but uh, Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> nah, all good. This is the third year I've been invited, so I, I better do it this year. So I said, Yeah, do it. Fuck it. Yeah. Great steel. It is. Mm. Very good. Well, anything you guys want to throw in the mix? Nah, we've got to get back to it, mate. These guys come a long way to learn how to make a barrel knife, and so far we have not really made a barrel knife. Done a bit and then looked at your face. Yeah. For too long. Oh, uh, well, that's, that's fucking <laughs> nothing out of the ordinary, really. I think that's Corrin's fucking teaching plan is, like, get, get 80% done, come back next time. Come back next year. Uh, sorry I couldn't. Sorry, I couldn't make it up there. I was meant to, but um, I, I've had a, stuff going on at home and priorities change. And it's like, you know what? Sometimes you just got to suck it up and not do the fun things and do the shit that you fucking hate. Um, and also, it was my wife's birthday uh, yesterday, which I didn't want to miss. Although I was going to miss it, and then I got a reminder from her. <laughs> <laughs> Dear diary. Uh, kindly reminded me although she said she didn't care uh yeah. that's like you know when your wife says everything's fine yeah you're fucked yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> change plans yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's like i don't i don't mind if you travel that's like let's test how fucking stupid you really are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i passed that test <laughs> well done All right, yeah boys. well done everyone out there thank you very right much for listening 
And um, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll catch Sorry, you. You'll um, you'll obviously advise uh, our listeners of any specials that Gamico uh, have running or anything promotions or shit you got going on okay. after we uh, after I, I really couldn't be bothered. We'll we'll worry about that later. <laughs> I'm on holiday still. That's it. Another 100% customer service. We love to see it. Yeah, Gamico, right. our sponsor. We love it. All right, mate. Righto, then. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for having us, guys. See you, yeah, everyone. Bye.